so my name is Ditto, and uh, two and a half years ago, I started developing a game called Goner that uh, we released a year later, uh, and it's now out on both all of the computers and Switch and recently PlayStation as of uh, last week, actually. Um, nice. And aside from that, I've done a bunch of game jams and uh, smaller games. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 it. I'm working on a bunch of weird stuff right now that uh, I'm not really. Uh, we can go into if you want to, but uh, there's no uh, nothing is really official yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and uh, uh, Goner game is a platformer, right? Like, how uh, how, yeah. do, how do you pitch yeah. that game? <laughs> uh, so Goner is a uh, roguelike like like platformer shooter. Um, it's got it's a bunch got of procedural a... generated uh, levels, and you shoot a bunch of cube monsters, sort of jump on them, like the Super Mario with guns kind of deal. Uh -huh. <laughs> you also have a big friend that's a space whale and i think she dies at some point oh so it's spoiler. about sadness as well well it's it's a spoiler but also not you know <laughs> everybody dies at some point wow that's meta <laughs> spoiler but it's not because everyone dies at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's yeah um I forgot your game was roguelike. Mm, mm. Yeah, so I, I, I saw it a, a while back. I think I even saw it at PAX. Um, mm -hmm. And I just thought of it as, oh, that like game that reminds me of Super Crate Box, but it's a platformer. And <laughs> oh, dude, like, yeah. Just the, the physics of the shooting just reminds me of that style of game. That makes a lot of sense. So, like, um, so let me tell a... Uh, um, when I started making Goner, I was making another friendly, like I was making a game about aliens becoming friends with aliens in space, and they were super cute towards each other. Um, I was watching a bunch of Steven Universe, and I think I wanted to like riff off of that to make something in that vein uh, where everything is nice and everybody's nice all the time, and everything's uh -huh. super nice and being nice. Um, but thing is, like, I never. Apart from watching Steven Universe, I never play games that are like that. Um, so the only games basically that I played at the time was like Nuclear Throne, uh, Super Crate Box is a big one. Um, you know, like all of these roguelike shooters like Downwell and uh, um, a bunch of old like Cactus games as well. If you know Cactus, the Swedish and uh, the guy who made uh, Hotline Miami, like all of his. Uh, early stuff are like super messy shooter kind of games. And that's like that's the kind of game that I was playing myself if if I ever played games. Um, and at some point I realized like okay so I'm I'm basically making a game that I have no idea what it's supposed to play like because I never play games like this myself. Um, so Goner started as a side project so that I could like have an outlet where I had um, where I was able to put all these like action-y bits that I enjoyed playing myself. Um, and like most side projects go, it just turned into, it like snowballed into a big, big project. And, and two, two and a half years later, I'm still sort of working on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. But the other friendly game about friends uh, might come back at some point, but like until now it's, it's on ice, you know? That's how yeah. life goes. That's yeah. that's normal. Like basically, when it was a side project, you were in pre-production and you were still experimenting around a lot, trying to see what the game was going to be, mm. and you ended up uh, going in a direction that wasn't the initial first idea, but was still like a fork of everything that you've been working on. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that definitely sums it up. And and for a lot of students who haven't made their first game yet, like they, there's this perception that we're it's constantly we gotta like remind people that like your games won't really turn into like the first idea that you have of it. Like you kind of have to 
let the game grow, let the game become what it wants to be and be open to, I guess, new, new directions for it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I still struggle with this, like all of the time, um, this whole notion of like, so you always want to create your magnum opus, right? Like you always want to create the, the biggest thing yeah. that is going to define your life. So when, when you start from that, uh, end of it, like you're really setting yourself up for, for, for failure <laughs> because it like, uh, it put, puts so much pressure on it. So like all of a sudden, every little move that you make have to be a perfect move instead of just a move, you know? Oh um, man, I felt that before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it, it, it's something about like creating anything that just fools you into going that route. What was, what was your, like, did you? Um, when I was a student, I started a pro uh, project to basically aim the, the premise of the project was we had like eight months or something to make a game for the IGF student submission. Mm. Uh, so the Independent Games Festival at GDC. And the idea was, this was like our last ditch attempt to, uh, to, go, to find a way to go to GDC somehow. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and it was also just like a silly thing, like, oh, maybe we can do it. Uh, and because we were aiming to win, uh, we got paralyzed by that pressure of like every decision we have to make has to be the best one. And we, we were especially paralyzed during the brainstorming and pre-production phase where we were like really paralyzed to like, we should have been prototyping, but instead of prototyping, we we're just writing ideas down and thinking really hard about them. <laughs> and that was not productive. Uh, in fact, like halfway through the project, we were, we were working on an idea and we realized this idea isn't working. It's not good. And then we're like, well, we're aiming to win. So why don't we just throw this idea out halfway through and start again? And we, we actually did that. And when we started again, we actually did prototype. Like we were like, okay, no more whiteboarding, no more like thinking really hard about ideas. Let's just grab an idea, run with it for a week, make a prototype, see if it's good. Do that again for the next week for the net, like a completely different idea. Uh, and we were multiple people, so we were able to like make multiple prototypes in a week. Um, mm -hmm. Like I would make one, of, uh, one of my teammates would make one at the same time. Uh, and we ended up making a little game called Magnet Ball. We, we did not win anything. It was not <laughs> like we basically made it in three, four months. Uh, and so it, we couldn't really compete with stuff that other people were making. But, but we were proud of it. At least I was. And that's like that's such a brave move uh, to actually ditch the initial project that you had, because uh, like at that point it's so easy to fall into this like, well, we already invested so much time into this, so we should just like stick through with it, um, you know, and and try to finish it, even though you know, even though you sort you sort of already know that like this is probably this is not going to become good, you know. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. we have a question. Uh, mm -hmm. I wonder how there are differences in development between the PlayStation 4 and the Nintendo Switch. Mm. Um, so this is kind of funny. Like, I, um, we, um, Rock Fury hired a company called CodeSync that specializes in like porting uh, games from, from consoles to consoles. So they actually took care of most of the porting work. Uh, so what I know about the porting part of Goner is, is mostly like supervising and answering questions and uh, looking over the programmer's shoulder onto to, uh, what he was doing basically. Um, so, but basically from, from what I understand of it, uh, since we're using Unity for uh, porting it to putting it to Nintendo Switch was mostly a matter of using plugins that they would provide, um, and um, like making sure that the game just works on the platform. Um, and that can that could uh, I think for for us it mostly meant we had to optimize a bunch of stuff. Um, but it's also stuff like uh, basically every 
free platform. And if you ever made a game for PC and uh, Mac, it's basically that's basically the same thing as porting because you will have stuff like uh, different kind of file handling systems that you need to use or uh, one platform uh, looks for input from from the gamepad in a different way than the other platform will do and stuff like that. But um, I don't know if that like is that the question. Um, Oh, the company is called CodeSync. I'm gonna write it in. They're called CodeSync, like that. Um, oh, I thought it was Code Sync. <laughs> code. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, CodeSync. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, but yeah, this is pretty standard in the, in the games industry. There's a lot of companies that specialize in porting games, um, and it seems honestly the most efficient way to something these days is to just hire someone yeah it seems so yeah and like we were in a pretty privileged position i guess because we could afford it i mean it adds a cost to the project and uh, hopefully you you earn that cost back since you're releasing on a new platform so you're probably gonna sell a couple copies more um but it also means that you you need to have that uh capital when you're going into it <laughs> Um, um, there was another question for Upper, a uh, somewhat related question. When it comes to player feedback, would you implement changes that the majority of players are asking for, even are asking for, even if it doesn't fit your vision for the project? Hmm. Man, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think for Goner, I did, <clears throat> and this is this is such a weird. Like this is a very. Uh, I would. I think this is a. And, and like, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with this question uh, right now because I'm realizing more and more that as a creator, creator of something, you have a certain responsibility to respect your own vision in what you're creating. But you also have to like, you also have to listen to feedback to the extent that you're not just creating from a vacuum. Um, so this is, a, this is a really tough balance that um, there's a really tough balance in that. Like, so on the one hand, you you are the creator um, of something, and and in this case, like I I was the sole developer of Goner, so like I am supposed to have a bunch of control of, of what the game is, right? But at the same time, I wanna I wanna take as much feedback as I can. Um, but you still wanna make sure that the game you're creating isn't just watered down. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's a, a hard really balance. tricky question. Yeah, it's a very like it 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 turns very philosophical, I think, because like you. It's one of these, like, it doesn't really have an answer. Um, it seems like you're also, it, it, it yeah. seems like it also leads you to question yourself a lot and your own decisions and second guess what you decided to do already. Oh man, for sure. Um, and it's like, like every time you take uh, someone else's idea into consideration or like whenever you implement something that someone else asked you to implement, it leads, it leaves me, it leads me to think like, okay, so was this, um why am i implementing this like do i trust your do i trust your um uh, your ideas more than my own or is it just because i want to like uh, uh am i just trying to cater to 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 a certain type of people with what i'm creating now um yeah i don't know like yeah no so related make, to make that, a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, sorry. I, so I, I freelance as a Unity programmer, and I often work with clients who ask me to make weird things. And there, there have been many times when I'm like, that's a really bad idea. Why does the client want me to make that? And then mm -hmm. in the process of making it, we arrive at something that I'm like really surprised at. Oh, this led to good stuff, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And I wonder if you had similar experiences with uh, with fans' feedback, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
I think I did. Yeah. Like a lot of, so like when creating Goner, I, I posted a bunch of GIFs of the game in development on Twitter. Uh, so I think a good portion of the design in general is um, listening to the answers and, and sort of like fitting the game to um, to how people reacted to the game. Um, and yeah, it, it's like a, sometimes, especially because uh, Martin and you are the sound designer and composer of Goner, they would come with like every Friday we had a we had a challenge that we would try to come up with the worst idea possible for the game. Um, and a lot of those ideas just turned into features of the game as well, because it's like, a, you think something is bad until you see it. And if it makes you laugh, it's probably a good idea to keep it in the game. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I definitely know that. Uh, that feeling. And so it, 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 sort of, it sort of ties into what you were saying about like prototyping instead of the instead of just writing down ideas, like you don't really know what an idea will look like when it's implemented before you implement it. Exactly. Uh, mm. Seth had a question a while back that we kind of jumped over, which was related to porting. So did you mm. do the, the PC Mac Linux side of porting yourself or was it part of that consultancy company too? Uh, no, I did those. Um, was it right? Yeah. And no, it, like, so I was using Unity. Um, right. What was hard was, uh, like, playtesting it. So, hey. Um, yeah, so, so the, the hardest part about it was, like, playtesting. Because I, I installed, uh, so I had a computer that I installed Linux on myself. Um, so the game is developed in uh, Unity, by the way. So, like, most of the porting is done already from the beginning, and then you just you know, switch platform and you make a build for that platform. Um, and I made sure to use, um, uh, like, the assets that I would use. Uh, I didn't use many asset, assets at all, but the ones that I used would be uh, things like uh, rewired handles, input handling across all three platforms. So that helped a lot. Um, and also, like, file, file handling. So, like, the save system is based on an asset that would help uh, saving in different uh, file systems for, for the different platforms. Um, so after that, it was mostly like playtesting stuff. Um, and Martin is using Mac, so he did all of the playtesting for that. And uh, I tried playtesting as much as I could on Linux. Um, so no, it, it wasn't too hard. It was mostly scary, I think, because it's like, <laughs> you don't really know if it works on the platform or not until you release it. And then you just have to pray that you're able to fix those bugs. <laughs> and a lot of time, a lot of times I weren't like, I just, I think there's, I think there's Linux bugs in there probably still that we haven't fixed because like, I just didn't know how. And uh, there's just, yeah, you know, yeah. Now that, now that you've deployed the game, uh, I believe Unity, has some features for you to receive data from builds like automatically so like if there's a crash maybe you can receive those crash reports Is oh that... yeah yeah with like analytics and stuff yeah and i didn't know about that feature until i was on a call with a, with some people who worked at unity and they're trying to get feedback on the various features that i had been using and i'm like oh i did not use that feature because i didn't know about it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think I have a. Um, I'm sort of working from. The, like, I have, I have a belief that there's always going to be something more that you can do uh, to make everything perfect, and that's a very deep rabbit hole to fall into. So I try to use as as few features of, uh, Unity as I can because like once you start falling into the trap of like trying to make everything perfect you're you're going to be slaving on that until the day that you die especially for <laughs> such a small team yeah ex yeah exactly and it, it's like um, i could either spend this week trying to get analytics to work and like installing 50 different assets just to try to make the uh, file handling perfect or i could like make three new weapons um 
so it turns into like a prioritization of like what you want to get done this week since you're especially when when you are alone because like if i'm not working on the game nothing literally nothing on the game is getting done you know also i'm lazy <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to be uh, laziness kind of helps you to focus on what's important when you're a small team or yeah, solo yeah. developer. Mm. So Seth is asking, in the distant future, would you ever consider releasing the source code for Goner so people can tinker with it or learn from it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think people would learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> like if anything else, I would release it as a um, like a, a, a way to scare people off, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe I honestly don't really know what the benefit would be, especially at this point. Um, you feel like your code is so messy that it's not worth looking at. Yeah, it would. It would honestly require some some work just to get the systems that actually work out of there. Um, I think I think the whole code base was pretty okay until like the last month of development. And all of a sudden, like release is creeping up. So you're just throwing things in there to make things work. Uh, and a lot, a lot of that code, I'm, I'm not especially proud of. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Um... <laughs> Like, yeah. like again, as a freelancer, like I've done that a ton of times, like where my client's project is about to end and I'm like, sorry, no time for clean code, just mess everywhere, technical debt everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Just let it be because it's do or die. <laughs> Ex yeah, exactly. Um, and I also thought like, well, since nobody else is ever going to look at this code, like I'm the only programmer. Uh, this game is going to be done in two months, and after that, I'm never going to look at this code again. Yeah. I was naive, and I didn't know better. Um, and now so you're still looking just, at it. <laughs> yeah, me. The poor and, consultancy and company. Code sync as well. Yeah, and like a lot of people have been looking at that code more than I thought. Also, like a, a big lesson that I learned from releasing the game was that like after after release, uh, the game is not done at all. Especially nowadays, like you should expect to be working on this game quite a while after release as well. Um, and I didn't really understand that at the time. So I thought, well, like the, after the game is released, you, you, I might have to fix a couple of bugs. But apart from that, you know, uh, it's probably going to be fine. And then we added a bunch of more content and stuff. And I still had to look at the code. And it sort of hurts to the core of my soul whenever I have to look at the code today. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, we've had other speakers who've basically had the same experience where they're like, I was working on this game, then we've shipped it, then we actually kept working on it, and man, we should have planned things better pre-ship so that working on it post-ship wouldn't be so hard. And I mean, it's funny because like everybody say that, Everyone but, says that. But when you're in the um, moment. <laughs> when you're in the moment, you're, you're like, well, you know, like, they're, it can't be that bad. And, you know, like, the, no, they're, they're just trying to be dram dramatic for, for comical effect. Or, or uh, of course, they make, have to make it sound cool because they're in an interview or something. And then all of a sudden, you're in that position yourself. And you're like, literally, your, your, your stomach turns turns itself into like a ball of anxiety just from looking at the code and you're like oh fuck <laughs> okay so it's actually this bad fuck all right um yeah i learned that the hard way and hopefully if if at least one person couldn't could like avoid that <laughs> um from hearing me say it as well so the question uh, about your your learning path so yeah, you sure. On Goner, you did the game design, the programming, and the art, correct? Mm, yeah. Uh, how did you get into games? Like, what was the skill set that you started out with first, and so on? Um, like, I've always, so I've always been like drawing and animating stuff um, on computers in in 
like Flash and, and uh, different pixel art softwares and Photoshop and all that. Um, and then I started programming uh, in school in what you call high school, I think. Uh -huh. um, and so from there on, I realized like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, I'm programming. I can probably like practice my programming by making games on the, um, like on, in, in the evenings. Um, what platforms so that, did you use? Uh, well, I started in, uh, I started in uh, XNA, uh, C Sharp. So I was, I was using that for three years or something. Um, I was prototyping a bunch of stuff on um, uh, XBLA, like the Xbox Live Arcade, uh, where they would let you make a build for, um, you, you could make a build play very easily on, on the Xbox. And it was fucking cool. Like, so that was the first time I had something run on Xbox and it just blew my mind. I never released anything. Um, and then eventually XNA died and I went to university uh, to study computer science. So that's where I learned most of the meat of the real programming that I do now. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And then at some point, I, uh, so I, I was always like making games to practice my programming. Um, and at some point, the game development just took over my life. And I sort of dropped out of college uh, and got a job instead so that I could uh, I got a half-time job so that I could uh, make games more uh, seriously. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to get into this thing called Stugan, where I could live for two months. Uh, Stugan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was like two months of uh, free living where I could just concentrate on making games for two months. Um, and after that, I've been like sort of living on, on nothing when I had to so that I could... <laughs> making full time, um, but yeah, so like very long, long way to say, um, I studied some computer science. Yeah, so and I did a bunch of game jams. Yeah. So for, for people who don't know, Stugan is a, an accelerator program in. It's in Sweden, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, and they they accept applicants from around the world and. They even encourage it, yeah. Yeah, and, and some people have referred to it as indie summer camp, like because yeah, it's the, during the summer and you're in like a log cabin or something. <laughs> yeah, in a way, like at least for me. So the cool thing is like the the cast that they take on every year is very uh, diverse. So you have like, you have people um, that just started out or is maybe working on their first game or something. And then you have people that have released like multiple games before, uh, but are doing it in the, um, so that you have a big diverse cast of people. And it feels like everybody sort of learns from each other. And it's like a boot camp for everybody. But um, I think like, because I was very inexperienced when I lived there. And I, I think like we, I probably benefited most of everybody in there since I could just mm -hmm. soak in all these no in this knowledge from everybody that knew much more than I did. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> um, so Kumu posted, uh, uh, he, he, uh, they heard that oh. all shaders had to be handwritten on XNA on like Unity, which provides basic for you. Is that true? So I, uh, I mean, you, you could just, um, drawing a sprite on screen was so super 2D simple. images and, and just, were simple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you didn't need shaders for that at all. Um, so I never got into writing shaders. And from what I can remember, like to, to use shaders at all, you had to like pass them in as uh, string arrays or something like that. So you had to like write the shader code within, you know, like uh, you, you had to like uh, string shader code equals blah and then pass that into some kind of shader shader interpreter and wow. it was just it was terrible <laughs> um, and i tried using it a couple of times but it just i never got it to work and i never got into shaders through that um so i i think that actually because i can't write shaders still like it's come to the point that I avoid learning shaders because I feel like uh, 
it's a very it's a limitation that I like working around to make things look good without shaders. Um, and maybe that's informed by starting out with XNA. Who knows? <laughs> mm -hmm. So Seth has a question. Uh, the security model for the Nintendo Switch has been completely broken by hackers. Since your game is on that system as a developer, what are your feelings on console hacking? Huh. Uh, Does that expose you to piracy? Uh, even if it... Yeah. Huh. Shit. I don't know. <laughs> so it's like, like new info, oh. so you're like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. No, like I honestly don't care. Um, it's like, uh, so these, uh -huh. so the, the, the piracy is hard. Uh, it's a, it's a difficult topic i think because i i don't care i i think it's a if i made something and someone wants to try to enjoy what i made i think that should be a positive thing uh that i'm not getting money from it is another but right now i'm in the position of privilege where i don't need that money and i think if you pirate something you would probably not buy it Anyway, um, I don't pirate anymore, wink, wink, but I did a bunch when, when I was younger. And like the things that I would pirate, I would probably never have bought if pirating wasn't an option anyway. So it's like a, at least someone is playing my game because if they wasn't pirating it, I'd don't think they would buy it anyway. So it's like a, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, exactly. Piracy sometimes helps with the exposure, but you know, like it, it's just one of these. Like you could you could argue either way, and I think both sides of the argument has some valid points. Uh, and hacking is the same thing. Like people that are writing weird hacks for. Uh, games that they truly like so you never write you never hack something that you don't care about that's i think that's a big thing like mm -hmm. if you if you put time into hacking uh like i was hacking diablo 2 for a while and it's like you don't start hacking something because you hate it you probably start hacking something because you like it uh or you like parts of it but you feel like you can make something better better out of it so it's like I try to see it as a big compliment. Like if someone is hacking my game, it probably means that they care enough about it and uh, that they want to do new things with it. Um, and honestly, like, so, um, who, who's that? There was a, there's a bassist called Square Pusher that makes, so he's a musician and he makes really weird music uh, with, with bass guitars and he never plays them like, so he never plays bass guitar in the way a bass guitar is intended to be played. Um, but he makes incredible music. And the original inventor of the bass guitar could never have anticipated the bass guitar being used in that way. Um, and if he would be insulted that someone was making cool music in a way that he didn't intend to, uh, I think he would be wrong. And I think it's the same for me. Like if, mm -hmm. if I make if I make a software and you get something out of it in a way that I didn't intend to, uh, I think you are correct. <laughs> so fucking pirate away and, and hack shit. It's it's I, I think that's a it's also a really cool way to learn programming, like feeling like you're hacking something or, or you know. Yeah. Don't don't hack the don't hack the government maybe but <laughs> apart from that you know just go crazy. <laughs> Any more questions? Feel free to unmute your mic if you want. If you have a mic. Um, I have a question about. I think I saw a Twitter thread ages ago where you were talking about how you implemented the platforming in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know Unity platforming often like people have trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. So 
the, the reason that I even started Goner from the beginning was that I had never played. Uh, I might be wrong, but you know, like I do a bunch of game jams and stuff, so I play a bunch of uh, uh, quickly made games. Let, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to call them sloppy. So I, I played a bunch of games that were made very quickly in Unity, and most of the platformers feel just terrible. Like there's a Unity doesn't uh, the the base yeah. gravity that they use and, and the way they handle collisions and stuff just makes platformer 2D platforming games really hard to implement. That using so a normal are... physics engine for platformers is usually not the recommended way to make a good platformer. No, yeah. But it's exactly. easy when you're getting started to use it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's such a weird it's almost like um it's, it's super easy until a certain point and then you're stuck and you almost have to like start again from the beginning and yeah. relearn everything you made. Um, yeah. And so I, that was the challenge that I put on myself. Like, I wonder if it's possible to make a platformer feel good uh, in Unity. And that's where I got started. And, and then I started adding guns to it. Um, but basically like the, so was the question more about like the, nitty-gritty of, of how the platforming works yeah so I, I was really interested in just hearing like that creative process of like your motivation to make something but if you can say a little bit about how does your current implementation of platforming differ from this the standard usual rigid body gravity thing hmm. um yeah so i i should start with saying that i'm i'm not entirely happy with how the platforming works in Gunner. Um, I think the game feels great, but there's some like weird edge cases that I would still like to fix, but fixing those would need, uh, I think we implementing the game entirely, which is, um, it just doesn't make sense at this point. Um, but I'm sort of using rigid bodies. Uh, so the rigid body 2D, uh, with, a, I think everything in the game has a circle collider on it. Um, and then on top of that, they use a bunch of like ray casting to see what uh, surface you're hitting. Um, and I like to use a, there's a, a nice trick that I, I like to use is that if you're close enough to a surface, you, I add a slight force towards the surface um, so mm. that you get like a sticky feeling, especially against walls. Like you're sort of sticky towards the wall. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, because and it makes it feel better. And yeah, then, yeah. like I, I completely disregard um, all the standard uh, practices of like I set the velocity whenever I feel like setting it and stuff yeah. like that. And people usually advise against that because it's <laughs> physics and you're you're breaking the physics. I like doing that too. It, it's my favorite little hack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's really hard to make something feel good with physics without breaking the physics. <laughs> so I, I thought I thought the whole slight force thing it was really interesting because the physics, one of the biggest headaches that you get from it is, oh, every time you like touch something, there's always a little bit of a knockback. So like you can land on the ground and then you maybe bounce a little bit and then you land again. And that's really annoying. And so just like detecting that case and just like, no, just put a constant force on you to stick mm. you down there. That's that's like a much more elegant solution to that problem than I've ever implemented before. <laughs> <laughs> like I yeah. often got into the habit of just setting velocity like manually a ton. Like I, I, I had a similar experience where whereas you were trying to make platformers feel good i had a little side project a while back where i was trying to make racing games feel good because mm, mm. i'm not a big fan of the whole like racing simulator genre and using rigid bodies and stuff is like trying to pretend that you're a simulator um the and so i i did do a lot of like the force setting like okay if you're near the ground if your car's like wobbling a bit we'll apply some forces to make sure all four wheels are underground but once you're there we like uh, I just manually set velocity in all vector directions and did all these fancy calculations to make sure your velocity was like 
nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, you know, I probably would have saved a lot of headaches if I just applied a, a st- constant force on you as you were driving on the road <laughs> to keep you on the road. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> a lot of times I find like, so, um, I mean, this solution was obviously not the first solution that I, that I tried uh, to make it feel uh, like it does right now. So I, I think I, I went the route of like, um, I tried to use the physics um, properly and I have a friend who has, a, um, I think he has a master's in physics, like he's a very, uh, he's a very mathy, physics-y person. So he yeah. would like consult me on, on how to make things work properly. But then like the further into that I went, I just realized more and more that like, eh, so the the... I'm making a video game here and the point of the game is to make it feel good to play and no one gives a shit if it's like physically valid or whatever yeah um, the only thing you really care about when you're playing is like does it feel good or not and usually the simplest method is the one that feels best um yeah there's also like the uh i i don't like simulation games either um in some, so like sometimes I do, but a lot of times what I what I gravitate towards in games is more like arcadey stuff. Where um, I think I like it when so I like states in games. Like if you have if you have a racing game, like um, now you're in the crashing state, and now you're in the uh, sliding state, and now you're yeah. in the this state, um, and that's usually super hard coded, and it, it's. Um, very simplistic compared to using physics. Yeah. Yeah, because like the the more state defined thing, it's basically like just hardcore game design in a way. Like yeah. If yeah. you if you have a drifting state and you're trying to programming so that it can emerge naturally, it's also less predictable and it, it muddies up your game design a bit. Like you instead of saying do this to get into this mode to, to trigger this this mechanic it's more of a you might trigger this mechanic <laughs> somehow yeah, uh, yeah and it just complicates the game design which is one of the things that makes simulators just feel like a lot of work to play yeah you're yeah you're completely right like i have this uh, weird i have a really hard time playing modern games um and by modern games i mean like the big uh, like Nathan Drake or or Gears of War or whatever, yeah. what big AAA titles. Yeah, I feel like they're trying very hard to hide the states that you're in. Uh, so you have like super complex layers of animation that uh, try to hide that you're just like now you're hanging on a wall, uh, but you have like. 15 different kinds of animation to indicate that instead of just having like, okay, do you have the jump animation and the hanging on the wall animation? Um, and it just makes it so much harder to read what is going on. So, so you have to learn these, instead of just, instead of learning, instead of mastering the controls, you're, you're sort of, you have to learn all these nuances of, a, um, of what is going on. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times it, it confuses me to the point that I, I get exhausted instead of um, I get ins- exhausted from playing the game instead of, of uh, uh, getting to focus on the things that I enjoy playing games for, if that makes sense. So going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier about iterating on the implementation of a mechanic until it feels good. A, mm. a, a lot of students will stay focused on can, like instead of answering the question of can I make this feel good, they they are focused on a question of can I make this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, sure. And so like for a lot of first time projects, like just the satisfaction of okay, this mechanic works now, it's in there, like that that's often enough for a lot of first projects. But once you once you've developed the skill a bit more, uh, then the next step in the in the journey is to start thinking critically about what you've made, how you've made it, and whether or not it feels the way you want it to feel. And the best process for that is usually make make a make, it's it's the same as prototyping. Like instead of prototyping individual game design ideas, it would be 
prototype implementations of the mechanic that you want. See how it feels. If it's not good, try a completely different form of implementing it. See if it's closer to what you're aiming for. For sure. I mean, yeah, you're definitely right. Um, and I think like a lot of ways it, it's the exact same process. It's just that I still pose that question, like, can I make this work? Um, but, you know, like in the beginning, you might ask yourself like, okay, so can I make uh, collisions work at all? Uh, yeah. And if you have done that uh, one or, or three times, uh, the next time instead you're going to ask yourself like, okay, so can I make collisions work in this particular way that I want them to work or whatever it is. So like the question is always the same. It, it just, uh, um, it, it yeah. gets like, it, it, it just gets different from, from having already that thing before, I guess. Yeah. And I think of a lot of, Sorry, <laughs> I think a lot of com uh, computer scientists, especially, uh, there's a bad habit like early on in people's careers where they start to feel like, oh, there's a right answer for everything. Like there's a right way to implement X and a right way to implement yes. that. And when you're working on games, you start to realize that like, no, there isn't a right way. There are so many weird ways and they all have their own different trade-offs. And it's, yeah. it's when you start to... That's when you start to feel the art side of the craft, when you're trying to focus on the feeling of the implementation and trying to go for different, uh, I guess, game feels. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, for me, I can't speak for everyone, but I, I think it's very common that you get obsessed with something, like with one thing. So I was talking about being obsessed with the uh, roguelikes and especially like Nuclear Throne and, uh, um, bland beer games in, in general i think um turned me into thinking exactly like how you're saying like there's a there's a right way of doing things and i thought like there's a correct way of doing game feel uh and it's obviously the thing that i enjoy because i am me you know uh, -huh. uh so so since i had mostly only ever saw um, if I if I mostly only see one way of doing something, I'm probably gonna think like that's the only way of doing it. Um, but as you like try a bunch of different things and and you play a bunch of different games, you realize like oh shit, all of these handle this same problem but in in different ways. Um, and you start seeing like different um, benefits to all of them, which which is really cool. And that's where you start to get like neurons in, in what you're doing, I think. So Dinopoke asks, hi, when, you, when do you make the call that a certain game mechanic or prototype isn't working out and that you should scrap it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's an answer to that. <laughs> uh, like, I think you, you can start to sort of get a feel for it with experience. Um, but it's mostly, I mean, we're all, we're all falling forwards, you know, and like, no one really knows what they're doing. Uh, and, and if you have, if your gut feeling is telling you that something isn't working out, then maybe scrap it or maybe not, or like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, dude. I agree with the gut feeling thing because like when I, when I saw that question, my first thought was that. For me, it's completely emotional. <laughs> like, yeah. I will just be working on it, and then I'll just be, get to a point where, like, ah, oh, it's not working. Throw it out. <laughs> uh, you know what? My like, okay, so um, yeah. a good tip, or like a good something that I try to do at least is like, if you're feeling like something is not working, uh, leave it for for a week or two or something, and then come back to it. Um, because at least for me, I work very obsessive, obsessively um, on, so like I work in a way that I get obsessed with something and then I solve, the, I work on that same problem until I solve it or until I burn myself out on it. Um, and usually when you work obsessively on one thing for a long enough time, it starts to feel 
bad no matter what you do with it. So if you leave it for a little bit and come back to it, you, you might like be able to see it with uh, clear eyes. That's a good tip. Yeah. Um, I, and the, the obsession part is good because it encourages you to, to be persistent, to try a bunch of different options. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I've gotten, like, I've, I had a recent gig where a client was trying to ask me to implement a lot of really weird things. Um, it was a very strange project technically, uh, but it really, it felt like a boot camp in persistence. Like there's like just trying out as many possible different ways to make something. And by the nature of that project, like I couldn't just like throw out a problem and be like, okay, let's, let's redefine this problem as out of scope so that we don't have to deal with it. Like we didn't have that luxury. And so, so we were kind of forced to try a lot of really bizarre ideas just to make something to work. And so like that kind of persistence and that, or that kind of obsession can really lead to a lot of creative stuff. Yeah. And that sounds like a really good, like turning project <laughs> or project in general. So Danipo clarified the question. Uh, to make it a bit more precise, was there anything notable that you had to scrap with Ghana? Man, so many things. There's so many things that we scrapped for it. Uh, I think like the most most notable was the water world. Uh, <laughs> like I was working on water um, mechanics or, or like water stuff for so long. I, I think I spent. I mean, where. Well, so I, I think I spent at least a month uh, only working on water stuff, uh, which in the 12 months of the whole game is, is a big chunk of time. Uh, but in the end, like, there was always some little thing that I couldn't make uh, get to work with it. Uh, so, like, I think it was like the collisions would always be a little bit off and they would be, feel a little bit messed up or there was like some edge case that I just couldn't fix which would make the game uh, like which would add game breaking bugs um, that I just couldn't fix and so at some point I just felt like okay this is just taking too much of my time for something that feels like a good idea but um, it takes too much time to be worth putting in if that makes sense also, um, mm -hmm. like movable platforms, <laughs> God, <laughs> goddamn, <laughs> moving platforms is, is is so fucking hard to get them to work. So I just, um, I was working on them too for a very long time, and like I really wanted to have physics objects that you could stand on and move around with, um, and they were sort of working, but once again, like weird edge cases where they would push enemies or objects off of the map and like. Yeah, it just didn't feel fair. Uh, I sort of scrapped them too. But it, it, yeah, mostly the things that I scrapped would be things like that. Like this sort of works, but I can't for the life of me fix the last, um, the last like ten percent of, of problems with it. So I just sort of have to let it go because. Wow. Um, yeah. It's a high standard. <laughs> no, yeah, but you know it's always like that. Like, but it's the it's make, a good call. You can make something. Yeah, and, and you can always make something work, but uh, it's very, very hard to make it work well, you know? Just like you were talking about with the uh, uh, collisions and, and like platforming, yeah. it's, it, I'm, I'm not gonna say it's easy, but you know, it's not, um, it's not incredibly hard to make a platformer game, but making it feel good is incredibly hard or like, so I, I would say like implementing the platformer game is like doing 90% of the work, but the last 10% of, of making it also feel good, um, those 10% are, are going to be what kills you. you know? um, and that's what happened to the world, water world. Kumu has a similar question, which are, what are the things that you're glad that you kept? Like, was there anything that was kind of about to be on the cutting block and then you kept it anyway and you were, you're, you're glad with it? <laughs> Hmm. Um, yeah, the the whole last world, I think. Uh, so the the we it's called Death World, the the last world of the game. It's I I think like I made that whole world in two weeks or something like that. Um, 
and it, it, like I barely tested it at all. Uh, I played through it maybe five times uh, in total before shipping the game. Fun fun fact: I I finished the game from start to end uh, on the day before release, and that was the first time that I actually beat the game myself. Uh, but either way, like so, uh, I made the Death World in two weeks, and it just it felt like shit, and it wasn't optimized, so it would lag a whole bunch. Uh, and when it lagged, I just solved that by like spawning fewer enemies or, or making really weird, um, like it sometimes deletes things in the scene um, when it's off screen and stuff like that, just to to make uh, make it like this. And all of the while, I had in the back of my head like, okay, so this is never gonna be like this is never gonna be good enough. Uh, Fuck. <laughs> but at some point, like it was, it was also so close to release that I sort of have to, I had to keep it as well. Uh, yeah. So we just like, it, it is what it is. I, I think it's a good world now. I really like that world. Um, and I think like the, uh, so it's the only world that has like respawning enemies. Like there's skulls that respawn and, and come into the level. Um, and those respawning enemies meant that you could you could farm points off of them forever so i would just make it that after a certain while those enemies would just not give you points anymore and it's just like it at that point i was uh, i was pretty close to burning out on the whole project uh, in general yeah. <laughs> like everything felt like a big decision um yeah yeah <laughs> Nice. Cool. So we're Thanks, we're kind of out of time. Uh, mm -hmm. So just to close things up, uh, so we, for, if there's anyone new in in here, we are the IGDA Student Sig. Like we're basically the student community in the International Game Developers Association, and we host these AMAs like twice a week. Last couple of weeks, we've only had like one a week, but it's, that's still a lot. <laughs> mm. uh, so I was recording this session, and we'll post the recording up at some point on YouTube if you want to pass it along to people. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with our AMAs, just, just follow our, our Discord and our uh, Twitter account and stuff. Um, it, you can check the info channel for more information. Like There's info in there on how to subscribe to notifications for our events and stuff. Uh, yeah, and so thanks a lot, Ditto, for coming on here. This was really great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's super fun. And we we already plugged your game. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Plug, our... Plugging is not really my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> if you like, what I can say, like, if you if you have any more questions, please uh, feel free to ask. I'm 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 trying my best to be an open book. And, feel free to also reach out on Twitter for. Uh, I'll, I'll link to your Twitter right now. Yeah. And here's our Twitter. Ditto cool. Matt. Cool. I Hope the rest of you have a good day. Or good nice. night. I love the amount of abbreviations in this, uh, in the IGDA student SIGA. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, this, so the IGDA, like they have local chapters around the world, like in various cities. Um, you, they also have SIGs, which are special interest groups. And that's just what oh. they call their non-regional communities. And so like, Ah, right. We, right. as a student SIG, we are non-regional, so we're like international community of students. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, I like abbreviation. It's just like... the nature of a a professional-looking association. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, I should plug the IGDA. Uh, to, you can become a member of the IGDA on IGDA.org. It's a paid membership, like most professional associations are. And when you buy a membership, it helps support all the things that we do here and across the org. Cool. I basically think of the memberships as donations, basically. <laughs> That's how I think of them. Um, 
because most of the stuff that the IGDA does is free to everybody. Uh, we don't really do paywalls. Hmm. That's good. There are some member benefits that come with being a member, and they're basically coupons. Like you can save money on conferences and and Unity licenses and all that. It's just like our 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 way of making the mem like making you feel like you're getting something additional for being a member, but what you're really getting out of your membership is just support supporting us. <laughs> Which is a good cause. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to stop the recording now and I'll let you guys get back to your day. Cool. I'm going to go have a bath <laughs> in, in the lake because it's a million degrees hot. Oh, have fun. <laughs> Thanks for having me and uh, see you around. And, and thank you, everybody who was asking questions. So, see ya. Take care. Bye. <laughs>